This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I had a letter recently from Maureen, a listener who told me not only is she a regular listener to the show, but knows a much younger friend who's also hooked on the old shows that you and I love. So I got to thinking that maybe there are lots of young listeners out there who might appreciate a quick tutorial on the subject of the golden age of radio. So before television, during the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, when radio was the dominant entertainment medium... Families gathered to listen to the home radio in the evening. No cell phones to distract the audience then. It began with the birth of commercial radio broadcasting in the early 20s and lasted through the 40s when television gradually superseded radio as the medium of choice for scripted programming, variety, and dramatic shows. According to a 1947 C.E. Hooper survey, 82 out of 100 Americans were found to be radio listeners. I'm sure that would be the same fear in Canada. A variety of new entertainment formats and genres were created for the new medium, many of which later migrated to television. Radio plays, mystery serials, soap operas, quiz shows, talent shows, daytime and evening variety shows, the situation comedies, pay-by-pay sports, children's shows, cooking shows, and more. The earliest radio programs of the 1920s were largely unsponsored. Radio stations were a service designed to sell radio receivers. And by the late 20s, radio had reached critical mass and saturated the market, necessitating a change in the business model. The sponsored musical feature soon became the most popular program format. Most early radio sponsorship came in the form of selling the name rights to the program, as evidenced by such programs as the A&P Gypsies, Champion Spark Plug Hour, and so forth. Commercials, as they are known in the modern era, were still relatively uncommon and considered intrusive. Wow, how unlike today of radio, huh? Well, I see my time is uh, for this tutorial is just about up, so hey, let's get right to tonight's offering. First on the bill, My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. We present My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denny. the story of Mr. and Mrs. Kugat, the record of a happy marriage. Two people who live together and like it. The comfortable front bedroom of the comfortable suburban home of the Kugats doesn't look very comfortable this morning. Articles of clothing are strewn about the floor and across the bed. George hurriedly plows through the debris getting dressed while Liz tries to cram all of their things into three suitcases. 
Liz, dear, what's all this stuff you're packing? We're only spending the weekend at your mother's, not the whole summer. Well, I'm only taking the bare necessities. Slacks, sunsuit, a few dresses, shoes, cosmetics, hose, undies. Mm, well, what have you packed for me? Your toothbrush and trunks. <laughs> Is that all? I want you to get a good tan. Pack some clothes for me, Scatterbrain. I wish you were driving out to Mother's with me, George. No, it's impossible, darling. Can't miss my board meeting. I wonder what the surprise can be that Mother's been telling us about. I'm afraid to guess. Her last surprise was the wrestler she was sponsoring. Remember him? Mm -hmm. He called himself the Hawk. Oh, what a wrestler. Yeah, in his first match, the Hawk flew clear out of the ring. Well, if she has another wrestler, I'll just throw him out of the house. <laughs> Woody, evidently you've never heard of Gorgeous George. You are Gorgeous George. Finish your packing. <laughs> Where's my new bathing suit? I can't find it. Your new bathing suit? Well, maybe a moth had a spare second and ate it. Here it is, and it isn't that skimpy. It's shameful. You're too prudish. You're too nudish. <laughs> you should see Alice Sturm's bathing suit. She got arrested at the beach. Hmm, must be... Pretty bad. Oh, it was. But they couldn't prosecute. Why not? No evidence. Hmm. <laughs> which nightgown should I take? My canary yellow or my parrot green? What about your goose chartreuse? <laughs> well, got to run now, honey. See you tonight. Drive carefully. George Cougar, don't you criticize my driving. I'm a good driver. Sure, honey. You've never driven up a telephone pole. Of course not. Anyway, not to the top. Ha ha, very funny I read in a magazine the more accidents were caused by men than by women hmm? When did you read that? The other day while I was driving downtown Mother! Oh, Liz, darling! Mother, you look marvelous, so young and healthy Oh, it's this country life, dear. I found there's nothing better than fresh milk and clean soil. Well, it's certainly done a lot for you. <laughs> yes. Makes a wonderful mud pack. Oh. Uh, where's George? Well, he had to attend the board of directors meeting. He'll be up later. Oh, they're having him during the day now. That's nice. Your father always had to go to the board meetings at night. At night? Yes, poor dear. Tell me, are they still holding them at the Whoopie Club? <laughs> no, Mother. Now the bubble dancer comes to the bank. Oh. <laughs> Mom, what's this big surprise of yours? I've been wondering about it all the way up here. Oh, well, see if you can guess. Well, some of the things you do, Mother, I'm almost afraid to guess. Oh. Let's see now. Pole vaulting? No. Motorcycle hill climbing? No, 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 no. Sky riding. Oh, no, you're way off. Well, I'll have to think of something a little more sensible. But this is very sensible. Uh, Chickasaw Indian tap dancing. Oh, Liz, really? I... Chickasaw Indian tap dancing. Oh, I wonder if they teach that at Arthur Murray. Now, we're not talking about Arthur Murray. <laughs> What's your surprise? Well, uh, you, you'd better sit down. I don't need to sit down. What is it? I'm going to get married. Well, I see you decided to sit down. <laughs> I always do when my knees buckle. You, you seem so surprised, dear. I, I suppose you thought that I, I was too old to get a husband. I thought no such thing. You're very beautiful. Oh, I do have a few wrinkles, though. 
Of course, just on the outside. That's right, Mother. <laughs> and they're just happy little crow's feet. Oh, oh, I know you're going to love your new father, Liz. But tell me all about him. Who is he? Where'd you meet him? What's he like? Well, he, his name is Daniel Carson, and I met him in Houston. Oh, he's a real Texan, Liz. He's just like Gary Cooper. Not quite that tall, of course, and, and, and a little older, and, and he wears bifocals. Oh, but he's just like Gary Cooper. <laughs> well, they're, they're both men. <laughs> <laughs> well, he sounds grand, darling. How'd you meet him? I, I was walking past the theater, and as he rushed up to buy his ticket, he knocked me down. Uh, he was in quite a hurry. It was a Randolph Scott picture. He really did sweep you off your feet. Skin both my elbows. <laughs> and he, he apologized, and he asked me to see the picture with him. But, of course, a young girl couldn't accept an invitation from a man she, she didn't know. <laughs> of course not. Uh, but I'm not a young girl, so I accept it. <laughs> Mother, hmm? do you suppose this man could be after your money? Not that you aren't beautiful. Oh, no, 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 dear. He's quite wealthy himself. He owns several oil fields. Oh, he has a huge ranch, factories, and... Oh, dear. What's wrong, Mother? You don't suppose I'm after his money, do you? <laughs> See, now, you were in Houston last April. Have you been engaged all this time without telling us? Oh, no, no, dear. Dan and I have been corresponding, and, and it just happened. He asked me in his last letter. What did he say? Dan isn't a man of many words, dear. He, well, here's his letter. You read it. <laughs> <clears throat> My dear Louise. Howdy. <laughs> Love, Dan <laughs> P.S. Will you marry me? Oh, I I've read it over and over again I almost know it by heart <laughs> Oh, you know, he he's coming in on the five o'clock train, Liz he's, I've made all the arrangements for the church Now, just a minute, Mother Before you go any further I think we'd better have a little talk A talk? Well, what about, dear? Well, Mother, you're getting married, and I think there are a few things that you should know. Oh, no, dear. <laughs> Don't you remember ten years ago when you were going to get married? Didn't I take you into the parlor for a little talk? Yes. Well, I haven't forgotten any of the things you told me. <laughs> oh, dear, I, I thought little Susan Palmer could be the flower girl, and, and maybe George could be the best man. Oh, <laughs> why, Liz, dear, what's wrong? I'm just so happy for you. Well, then, then why are you crying? Well, you cried when I married George. Well, that was different, dear. Oh, mother, my little mother. Oh, Liz. <laughs> Liz, darling, please don't cry. Oh, mother, I can't help it. You'll understand someday when you have one of your own. <laughs> Give me a kiss. Kiss, kiss, kiss. I want a kiss. Give me a kiss. What's the matter? I never board a train when it's moving. Well, it's standing in the station now, ready for refiring. <laughs> Nut. 
Mm. Okay, conductor? Mm-hmm. Steam's way up. Careful you don't burst your boiler. When there's any danger, the whistle blows. Kiss me again. Watch out, George. Uh, can I carry your bags, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> oh, George, wait till I tell you about, the, about Mother's secret. Yeah, what is it? I can't tell you. It's a secret. Liz. George, a secret's only a secret if it's kept a secret. You know about the whispering grass. The grass told it to the trees, and the, the trees told it to the breeze. You understand, George? Yes, very clear. Your mother's been out in the grass whispering to trees. <laughs> Just forget about it, darling. You'll find out. Better get dressed for dinner. Won't tell me, huh? Uh-uh. All right. You have your secrets. I have mine. <laughs> I just thought of something. <laughs> oh, what are you laughing about? Nothing, but if you're going crazy, I want to go with you. <laughs> I'm not going crazy, Liz. I was just thinking about the time I took Myra Ponsonby on the hayride. <laughs> You've always wanted to hear what happened. <laughs> you're not going to get me to tell you Mother's secret that way. No, of course not. Forget it, dear. You think you're pretty sly. Who cares what happened when you went on the hayride with Myra? What could happen on a hayride? <laughs> you're just trying to arouse my curiosity, but it won't work. I've gone on hayrides, lots of hayrides. They were all in the spirit of good fun. We'd go down some dark, lonely country road, stop the wagon. Some of the couples would go blackberry picking. We'd just sit there in the hay and... George Cougar, what happened on that hayride? It's a secret, remember? The grass? The heck with the grass. What about the hay? Well, you tell me your secret, I'll tell you my secret. All right, Mother's getting married. Now what... George, what happened? I bit the stem off my pipe. Your mother's what? Getting married. Now what happened on the hayride? Oh, Jimmy Paterno dropped his cigar and we had a weenie bake instead. <laughs> Now, Liz, now, now, what's this business about your mother getting married? Well, we're going to meet her fiancé tonight. Mother met him in April. They've been corresponding, and in his last letter, he proposed. Hmm. Where'd your mother meet him? In Houston, in front of a theater. You mean he picked her up? He knocked her down first. <laughs> now, hurry and get dressed, George. We want to look nice when we meet him. All right, but I wish your mother had consulted me first. I might have refused his proposal. I should hope so. You're already married. Mother, mother, sit down and relax. Oh, oh, I, I can't, Liz. Dan will be here any minute. <laughs> now, you've got to calm down, Mrs. Elliot. Yes. I remember how nervous I was when Liz and I got married, but I had a simple formula for overcoming it. Oh, well, what was it? He fainted. <laughs> I didn't faint. I just relaxed. All of a sudden. Oh, oh I, I'm so nervous. I, I haven't been this upset since the day my scales were broken, and I thought I'd gained 200 pounds. <laughs> There's your man, Mrs. Elliot. Oh, 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 now, 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 don't all of you stare at me. <laughs> I'll let him in. Hello, ma'am. Hello, Dan. Uh, will you come in? Reckon I will. <laughs> uh, 
Are you embarrassed, Dan? Nope. Well, reckon I'll be going now. <laughs> Dan, you, you just arrived. Well, <laughs> just don't know what to say, Louise. I ain't a man of many words. Had me a long-winded speech wrote down on the back of a cigarette paper. Forgotten smoking. <laughs> well. Yeah. <clears throat> Mother. Oh, Liz, dear, I'm sorry. Well, I guess we kind of forgot our manners, Louise, standing here chattering like a couple of blue jays. Yes. Uh, oh, Dan, this is my daughter, Elizabeth. Hello, Mr. Carson. Hmm, even prettier than the picture your mama sent me. Mother sent you my picture? Yep, laying on a blanket, taking your bottle. <laughs> well, I've changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. You're a lot longer now. <laughs> Got a little more hair, too. Well, when I was a baby, I used to wear my hair very close to my head, under the skin. I'm uh, George Cougat, Liz's husband. How do you do, Mr. Carson? Well, hiya, George. Hey, I like the way you shake hands real tight, like you mean it. Oh, uh, you, you have quite a grip yourself. Yeah, I hate wishy-washy shake. Like to feel a friendship fair. Ain't never forgot Herb Jackson, the friendliest feller I ever met. Broke seven bones in my hand. <laughs> I'll be having dinner in a moment, Dan. Uh, would you care to go upstairs and wash? No. Took care of it before I left Houston. <laughs> well, I'd better wash. I've never been to Houston. Uh, I got a little surprise for you, Louise. Oh, a surprise, Dan. Well, what is it? Oh, it's coming later. Yeah, I guess I'm ready for Chuck now. Chuck, Mr. Carson? Yeah, that's what we call dinner in Texas, Lizzie. What about late at night when you go down to the icebox and sneak a snack? What do you call that? Snuff. Enjoy your dinner, Mr. Carson? Oh, I reckon it did, George. It's mighty fine grub. Grub? What's grub? Chuck. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for that surprise, Dan. Well, it ought to be here in a little while, Louise. Mr. Carson, uh, I understand you have some oil property in Texas. Yeah, yeah. It was originally my granddaddy's. He got it from some Indians. Swapped them for it. Swapped them for oil property? What did he give them? Colored beads, bits of cloth, fire water? No. $650,000. <laughs> Mr. Carson, uh, I understand along with your oil properties, you have quite a ranch, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got me a nice big ranch. Ain't oh. it, Louise? It's really tremendous. What do you call your ranch, Mr. Carson? Dallas. What <laughs> <laughs> about my surprise, Dad? Well, it ought to be here any minute, Louise. Let's see. Well, this is sure going to be a fine wedding. A pretty bride. <laughs> and you'll be a rather handsome groom yourself, Dan. <laughs> well, I went to a lot of trouble for the ceremony. Spent all day yesterday at the chiropractor's having my legs straightened out. <laughs> you should have kept your pants on. They're still bow-legged. <laughs> Tell me, uh, do you have a horse, Mr. Carson? Oh, now there's something that I like to talk about. You bet I got me a horse. His name is Shotgun. Shotgun? Do you feed him or load him? Oh, he's a good old horse. Had him for 18 years. Showing his age a little. 
graying around the tail. <laughs> oh, now that's nice. I think a gray tail makes a horse look distinguished. As I always say, an old horse is just as good as a new horse. I've never heard you say that, George. Well, you've never been around while I was talking to an old horse. Uh. <laughs> Why don't we all go out on the porch? Oh, I reckon that's your surprise now, Louise. Excuse me. Oh, what do you suppose that silly boy's gotten me? Mother, you're holding that third finger out too conspicuously. Well, well, uh, here's your surprise, Louise. Come on in, Slim. Greetings from Texas, everybody. Gee, ho. Slim's my old saddle buddy, Louise. He's gonna be our best man. Oh? Dan, you old horn swaddle son of a rattlesnake. Slim, you old saddle sore mule buster. You old leather-eating coyote. You old thieving noose dodger. You old horn toad. You old siffy cat. You old prairie dog. You old... You... <laughs> Dan, uh, he's going to be our best man? Yeah, some surprise, huh, Lou? Uh, Slim, this year is Louie. So that's her. Well, do dong. Twine my banjo, bust my bridges, do dong. Go darn, ding dong, darn. Dan. Slim says he likes your figure, Lou. <laughs> oh, mother's always had nice gall derns. Oh. <laughs> Here's a little gall dern, something I brung you, Miss Lou. For when you and old Ding Dong Dan set up Galdern housekeeping, dog gone. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, oh, oh, Charles, uh, how nice, Aunt Liz. Oh yes, look, George, a set, hers and hisn. <laughs> I'll be right back, Liz. I think we're going to need some smelling salts. I heard that. If you don't like my vapor, just open some windows. Dog. Gone, Dan. Who's the strawberry roll? Oh, this is my daughter, Lizzie. God darn it, she's pretty. A ding-dong redhead, too. Makes me want to kick off my boots and jump smack dab barefoot into a doggone tub of sow belly. <laughs> Bust my britches. Bust my britches. Bend over. <laughs> Told gone, Dan. I just can't wait no longer. I've got a doll darn surprise for you outside. Music for your wedding. Music, Dan? <laughs> yeah, just a minute. Oh, I mean, uh, just a doggone minute. Oh, Slim, you brought the sons of the singing sagebrush. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take that sunshine away. say about music for our wedding? Oh, I know they ain't the best, Miss Lou, but Spade Cooley weren't available. Oh, there ain't no finer music in the sons of the singing sagebrush. Sing some of that there wedding music firm, sons. I'm, I'm ahead for the last roundup. <laughs> oh, horse. Make up your mind. Ben. Son. Mr. Carson. Have you ever thought that Mrs. Elliot may have other plans for the music at her wedding? Uh, Lou? Why, Lou is loco about the sons, ain't you, Lou? Well, Dan, uh, they were all right when we went to the barn dance in San Antonio, but I, I had planned on other music for the wedding, and I, I more or less thought that George could be the best man. Oh, I'm being the best man. I, 
Who's George? I'm George. Ah, look at here, George. Shoot him, Slim. <laughs> George is going to be the best man, aren't you, George? I say I'm going to be the best man. What do you say, George? Well, Liz, I think Slim really has his heart set on it. Is this going to be a wedding or is this going to be a wedding? That's a very good question. Well, let me hear some more of that wedding music, son. Oh, promise me that someday you and I will take our love together to some time. <laughs> Wahoo! Son! Oh, shut up! Shoot him, Slim! Shotgun sure would love, man. George, where are those smelling salts? How's your mother, dear? Doctor says she'll be all right. All she needs is quiet. Fine. I got a room in town for the surging sons of the screaming sage. <laughs> Did they mind leaving? Yes, I think they were a little hurt. As they walked away, they were singing something called I Don't Think They Like Us Here and I Wish We Were Back in Texas Blues. <laughs> Poor mother. The way she tried to smile when Slim brought in that box of dirt so their marriage could be held on Texas soil. I can see the write-up of the wedding in the paper. To the soft strains of Beat My Desert Doggy Ate to the Bar, Louise Elliott and Daniel Carson were married. On the altar, campfires blazed brightly. And the highlight of the affair was when the bride threw her bouquet of cactus and pinned three flower girls to the parson. I won't let your mother go through with it, Liz. Well, Mother confided in me, George. She doesn't want to go through with it. She doesn't? No, but unless Mr. Carson leaves, she'll have to marry him. Oh, fine. Well, what could possibly make Mr. Car Carson leave? Who is it? It's me. It's Dan. Well, speak of the Carson. Hello, Liz. George. Well, Mr. Carson, you look so sad. Well, I can't help it, Lizzie. It's a terrible thing that's happened. Terrible thing. Oh, Mother's going to be all right, Mr. Carson. Don't worry. Ain't your mother? Shotgun's down with a hoof and mouth disease. Shotgun? You're more worried about your horse than Mrs. Elliot? Well, I reckon I'd be pretty worried about her, too, if she had hoof and mouth disease. <laughs> Poor old shotgun. I just got a phone call about him from a Western Union office. I got to go to shotgun. You aren't leaving? Yeah, reckon so. But I'll always remember Louise. I'm gonna keep the picture I got of her. And I'd be obliged if, if she'd keep my box of dirt. <laughs> well, I'm sure she will, Mr. Carson. Well, goodbye, Liz. Bye, George. Goodbye, Mr. Carson. Uh, don't bother to shake. I'll just slam the door on my hand. <laughs> Goodbye, and I hope Shotgun gets his hoof out of his mouth. <laughs> Liz, he's gone. And Mother has a box of dirt. Uh, what'll she do with it? Oh, it'll make nice Christmas presents for people who don't have dirt. <laughs> Darling, he's gone, but... Let's not make light of it. He was a nice old guy. Yeah. You don't have anything against him, do you? Why, certainly not, George. I hope his horse will be all right. Be a shame if Shotgun popped off before he got back. 
<laughs> Liz, I can't get over the coincidence of this thing. Here we're sitting in our room, and you're saying how nice it would be if Mr. Carson left. In walks Mr. Carson. Had a phone call from Western Union, and he's leaving. Positively amazing. Well, I guess we can go break the news to your mother. She already knows about it. What? I made the phone call from her room. Liz. Want to send you... a telegram? <laughs> sleep? No, dear. I can't sleep. Why not? I keep lying here waiting for you to say, George, are you asleep? (laughs) (laughs) Do you love me, George? Madly. Would you swim oceans to be at my side? I'd swim oceans to be at your side. Would you climb mountains to be at my side? I'd climb mountains to be at your side. Would you get up and get me a glass of water? (laughs) No. Why not? I'm pooped from climbing those mountains and swimming those oceans. (laughs) Please get me a glass of water, George. All right. Hmm. What smells so good? I left the top off my taboo. Hmm. I thought it was night-blooming jasmine. Why does jasmine only bloom at night? Oh, they have a very strong union. I love you, George. I love you, too. Remember, I want cold water. That's the left faucet. Yes, Liz, the left faucet. Oh, George, I've changed my mind. I'd like a Coke instead. Okay. Which faucet is the Coke? (laughs) Oh, never mind. You'd have to go downstairs. I'd want you to leave me. I'll take water. Here you are, darling. Thanks, little cuddle puddle. You're welcome. A little drip. <laughs> Good night, honey. Good night, dear. <laughs> What's the matter, Liz? You got a feather leak in your pillow? <laughs> no. I was just thinking that I'm pretty clever. Today I figured out a way to make someone not marry someone. And if I wanted to, I could scheme a way to make someone marry someone. You really think you could? Mm-hmm. I did it once. You schemed a way to make someone marry someone? Yes. Who? Good night, George. My Favorite Husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Stay tuned for Suspense with a special guest performer, Lucille Ball, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for an added treat, hearing Lucille Ball in a drama, 
Suspense Theater, and the episode Little Piece of Rope. Outstanding Theater of Thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Lucille Ball in Anton Leder's production of A Little Piece of Rope. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. They said I'd never make good here in Hollywood. Everywhere I went, it was the same story. Sure, they'd see me, but the minute they took a look at my baby face, all I'd get was advice and excuses. No job. My last try was for a schoolgirl part. <laughs> I was too baby-faced to even land that one. I was walking home, still wearing the school uniform that I'd bought to help me get the part when I got the idea. Then I remembered another thing. It was years ago reading an old copy of the Police Gazette in Grandpa's attic. Printed about 1880, I guess. With their falsely youthful faces, dressed as innocent schoolgirls, these vicious females haunt the vicinity of select young ladies' seminary. And with their airs of artless girlhood, they entice and trap unwary gentlemen. Some from the best of families, <laughs> it was funny then But now Well, those gals were suckers I take the exclusive gents For all they've got And give absolutely nothing That's how I made good in Hollywood Up to a thousand dollars a month good I just Take a little walk <laughs> I've got uniforms for all the best schools, and I still have the baby face. So help me, lots of those kids look older than I do. When school's out, I let some old wolf pick me up. They always want to park up in the hills or some other lonely place. I drop my compact. He bends over to pick it up. I let him have it with a special little blackjack I carry. <laughs> Then I leave, taking their wallets and any letters I find. You'd be surprised at some of the letters some of them do have. Makes a dandy bank balance now and then. Them? <laughs> Remember, I pick them old enough to have family, dignified jobs. Would they want to admit to chasing bobby soxers? They never squawk. <laughs> My landlady thinks I'm the ideal tenant. Oh, she's no trouble at all, the poor little thing. Infantile, you know. Has to take long walks every day and rest the rest of the time. Never any fun or dates like other pretty girls. Well, lucky she can afford it, I say. Be a county ward otherwise. And so sweet and quiet, uncomplaining, poor little soul. Yes, Mrs. Tilford is a swell character witness. Of course, I always wear a coat over those uniforms near home. And I keep them locked up just in case she snoops. Yes, yes, I've got a nice career in Hollywood. That is, I 
I did have till last month. You going out in this cold, Isabel? Oh, this is a good heavy coat. Well, don't you overdo now. These walks are just what the doctor ordered. Anyway, you sure look healthy enough. <laughs> Thank heaven for that. Anything I can pick up for you on the way back? Oh, no, thanks, dearie. I got everything done. Goodbye now. Bye. I was dressed for Miss Cadwaller's school this time, and it was just letting out when I got there. I didn't have long to wait. You know, you get so you can tell by the way the cars move along the street if the guy's on the prowl. This one was driving a big black coupe, and he was a little younger than I liked, about 40, but... You can't be too fussy. I stepped off the curb, pretending to look for a bus. Waiting for the bus? Why, yes, I am. Which one? The Bel Air bus. Oh, I say, that's a shame. Why? I just passed it back there. Broken axle. Oh. Uh, you know, I think I've seen you passing my house. What street do you live on? Cameron. Oh, sure. I'm just over on Bender. Hop in, I'll take you home. Oh, well... You're a neighbor. I guess it's... Gee, thanks, Mr... Rice. Alex Rice. Sure. How do you do? Like school? I hate it. School's no fun. I'd like... Oh, I... What? Oh, excitement. Danger. <laughs> I suppose you think I'm pretty silly. No. No, I think you're the kind of girl who gets... Excitement and danger. Really? Yes, really. Look, it's so early yet. I'd like to take the long way through the hills. Pretty there now. Oh, yes, I'd love to. I think the hills are divine. Isn't it just out of this world? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <sighs> What's the initial on your bag for? The initial? Yeah. Irma? Oh. Inez? Ingeborg? Oh, Ingeborg. You made that up. No, it's Swedish. Uh, Imogene? Uh, no, Irene. Irene Taylor. A pretty name for a pretty girl. I'll bet. <laughs> You have beautiful hair and eyes and a beautiful throat. Well, throat? Irene, you're very good. Oh, Mr. Rice, I dropped my compact. You don't need it. But it might get stepped on. You won't need it. But I want it now. No, I... No, I know, I know. Don't yell so in your house. Get out of there. Oh! Character, huh? Well, here. Roll back a little. There. I... Well, what do you know? Rope. Now, why would a guy carry a piece of rope in his inside breast pocket? Hmm. Nice wallet. Well, goodbye, Mr. Rice, and thanks for everything. Back home, I showered and changed and settled down to see what was in this wallet worth keeping. Only about 50 bucks. What made it so thick was a lot of newspaper clippings. Oh! Oh, no! It can't be! But it was. 
Those clippings were all about the strangler who'd murdered five girls in the last year, left them in the hills with a piece of rope around their necks and never a clue. And Alexander Rice carried his press notices. Alexander Rice carried a little piece of rope in his inside breast pocket, picked up girls, drove into the hills. Alexander Rice wasn't his name. No, his driver's license said Benjamin Carney. I had picked up and slugged the strangler. My latest sucker was the most dangerous man in the country. Autolite is bringing you Miss Lucille Ball in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to a Hollywood soundstage Miss Lucille Ball as Isabel in A Little Piece of Rope, a tale well calculated to keep you in Suspense. At first, I just shivered over my narrow escape. Why, if I hadn't been out to get him, he'd have gotten me. I'd be number six in tomorrow's headlines. Then I suddenly realized I was the only one who could identify him. I can't be silent and let him go on killing. I've got to go to the police station and tell them. I started to go out when it occurred to me I couldn't. I didn't dare go to the police and take the chance of exposing my own racket. If that ever came out, and it probably would, San Quentin, here I come. It seems they're a little stuffy about people who carry blackjacks and steal wallets and sell letters. So, instead, I went for a walk. A real one this time, and tried to think. Soon another thought hit me. He knew I could identify him by now. Strangler was no fool. He'd have me figured out and know the kind of place and time to look for me. He'd certainly be looking for me, to kill me, to shut my mouth forever. I had to find a way to... Thompson. I I know who the strangler is. Who's this? I can't tell you that. Oh, I see. Well, what can you tell me? You know his name? Benjamin Carney. Carney? C-A-R-N-E-Y, 1156A Boydell Street. Yeah, description? About 40, 5'9 or 10, 160 pounds, dark hair, eyes, skin, even features. Not ugly, not handsome. Drives a big black coupe, lady, late model. Got it. Any identifying marks? Mustache? No, nothing. And how do you know this guy's the strangler? I just know. Goodbye. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can trace the call? There'd been hundreds of phony clues, and he thought mine was another. But surely they'd check that name and address. All the way home, I had a creepy feeling he was around somewhere following me, waiting. Evening paper barely mentioned my call, just listed it with several others. Radio wasn't very much better.
unidentified woman fall in a description of the killer as a 40-year-old brunette, medium height and weight, no distinguishing features, driving a new black coupe. Police checks revealed that such a man, with the name she gave, had moved from the address given several months before the first of the Strangler murders, but there is no further trace of him. Investigation continues, but it is believed this is another spite accusation. A Portland, Oregon woman reported the Strangler as the man who entered her hen house last night and... No use phoning again. I didn't think a letter would help much either, but I tried. Being careful, it couldn't be traced to me and mailed it to a newspaper that night. Hey, Mike. Mike, you going to the courthouse? Take this to O'Shea, will you? Another strangler letter telling all. Why can't he just strangle letter writers? One more and I'll strangle somebody. Another failure. The letter wasn't even printed. I was getting jumpy from being cooped up like a prisoner. What if he couldn't find me as long as I stayed home? I was losing money every day I didn't pull my act. I could leave town, but why should I give up this good thing, my, my perfect setup? I've been doing fine. In another year, I could quit the racket, make friends, invest my money, maybe even get married. But now this had happened. I'd never be safe. Not as long as we both lived. I finally faced it. I have to find him and kill him. This time, I put an ad in the personals column. Would he see it? Well, I'd run it till he did. A.K. Rice can book your rope act for mutual profit. Have immediate out-of-town engagement. Signed, Slugger. Huh. Rope act. <laughs> Mutual profit. <laughs> I knew that would get him because it sounded like blackmail. And by pretending to fall for a shakedown, he'd hope to get close enough to kill me. Only it was going to be the other way around. And so our strange correspondence began. He answered right away. Slugger. Interested in all Send detail, box 047M298, Rice. I had him hooked. I didn't lose any time writing. Dear Mr. Rice, I have an invention which I think you'll want for your... robot. It's expensive, but remember, it's completely silent. <laughs> and yours exclusively if we agree on terms. Signed, Slugger. Mm-hmm. Completely silent. <laughs> Delicious. And expensive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Slugger, give price, price and, and details, details of contract. Rice. So close now, I couldn't afford the slightest mistake. Now or... Dear Mr. Rice. 5,000 cash buys complete assortment of paper and leather goods. Time and place of meeting must be my choice, but decide fast. I must leave town immediately. Signed, Slugger. P.S. You should never have left that snapshot in your wallet. It's awfully good of you. Snapshot? I thought I... Oh, no. I didn't run it. Oh, the little lady's in a jam. Needs money to hide out. <laughs> and I can help her make her get away. 
I can indeed. <laughs> Slugger, price okay. okay. We'll close at your convenience, Rice. I've got it. My plan was as foolproof as I could make it. I packed a suitcase with the kind of clothes I'd hate to be found dead in. Maybe I would be. And told Mrs. Milford I was taking a vacation with friends. Oh, I'm so glad, dearie. I said to Miss Knight yesterday, that child should have country air. City air just don't do the same for you. Yes, I know. It'll do me good. And you stay longer if they ask you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about me holding the apartment for you. Well, thanks a lot, Mrs. Tilford. It's certainly nice of you. I have to catch that train now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a nice time now. I took those awful clothes to the bus depot, changed, washed, and let the soap dry on my face till it was white and shiny and ten years older. With my hair skinned back tight under an old beret, I, I saw a stranger in the mirror. Baby face was gone. Good. No one had noticed me, and looking like this, nobody would. Then I walked to another apartment I'd rented by phone last week. It was in a dingy neighborhood. I'm Miss Sprout. Oh, Miss Sprout. You can move right in. The people left yesterday. Yeah, this is the key. The first door at the head of the stairs. Fine, I'll, I'll go right up. It ain't clean yet. And stairs bother me so. I'd really rather do it myself, thank you. Well, I'll just leave you alone then. Now I was Miss Annie Sprout, librarian. And I looked as much like Isabel Towns' baby face as, as an alley cat looks like a Persian. I sat down to write the last letter. <laughs> Dear Mr. Wright. Come to 609 Fitzgilbert Place at 10 p.m. Friday. And don't try to come near me or I'll scream my head off. Tap five times, come in, and stand right by the door while we make sure neither of us is double-crossing the other. Have the money in an unsealed envelope. I want that traveling money, but I'd rather take a chance on the cops than on you, so follow instructions. Slugger. <sighs> you fool. You baby-faced fool. He'd have to make sure the layout was right before he'd dare attack me. And the more precautions I took, the more he'd believe I was on the level. Near the door where he'd stand, I, I put a chest with a lamp on it. That was my booby trap, that lamp. The room was so dimly lit, he'd, he'd have to light my lamp to look at the wallet. And when he pulled the light chain, he'd shoot himself. I had a gun fixed where the bulb should be, and the chain pulled the trigger. It was set to get him in the chest. Heart, if I was lucky. Dead or not, I'd leave him there for the cops, with his wallet and clippings pretty cute, huh? And I'd skip out the back way with all that beautiful money, go to the depot, become Isabel Towns again, safe and free. I wore gloves all the time I was there, and the suitcase with Isabel Towns' identity in it was ready by the back door. 
The hours passed like centuries. And the old house creaked like a sick old man in a squeaky bed. Of course, it might be the house or it might be someone on the stairs. And then it was ten o'clock. I was standing at the other end of the room, facing the door. The light was very dim. I heard the feet coming up the stairs, or or was it just the creaking of the old house? No. No. Stand where you are. Did you bring the money? Yes. Yeah. Throw it down in the middle of the room, between us. Go ahead, throw it down. We'll stay there while you examine the leather goods. You have the wallet here? Yes. Throw the money. I, I can't reach it from here, you know. It's quite safe. All right. On that chest beside you, by the lamp. Yeah. Well, thanks, Slugger. Aren't aren't you going to look to see that everything's there? (laughs) Why should I? I trust you. So long, baby face. See you around. Gotten away, alive. He must have guessed I'd done something to the lamp. So he was still alive and still dangerous. But at least I had the money, the $5,000. I picked up the envelope and opened it. There was nothing in it but pieces of newspaper cut to the size of bills. <gasps> Why, you dirty cheat! I ran to the door and opened it. I looked out, but he wasn't in sight. Maybe I could catch him before he got out of the house. Oh, you won't get away with this. I stepped into the hall and before I could turn, I felt the rope around my neck. His hands were pulling it tight. Baby, I told you. She'll be safe on the floor while we finish our business. Now, I'll take a look at that wallet, baby. You might have held out some of those clippings. 
I'll just turn on this light. Thank you, Lucille Ball, for a splendid performance. I now here again is Miss Lucille Ball. It's always a great pleasure to appear on Suspense. Especially when the part is so unusual and exciting. That's right, Miss Ball. The part of Isabel tonight was very different from your regular radio role on My Favorite Husband. <laughs> Plug? Why not? Why not? Something like, uh, listen to Lucille Ball as Liz Cougat on My Favorite Husband every Saturday night. Over your favorite CBS station. All right? <laughs> Wonderful. And I hope all of you will be listening next week when Suspense presents William Powell in a role that's also different from the parts he's been playing lately. He's playing a man who's just stolen a quarter of a million dollars and then finds out that... But you'll hear about it next Thursday when Suspense brings you Give Me Liberty, another gripping study in... Suspense. Lucille Ball may soon be seen in the Paramount production Sorrowful Jones. Barry Kroger was heard tonight in the part of The Strangler. Tonight's suspense play was written by Virginia Cross, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, suspense will present such stars as John Garfield, Margaret O'Brien, Sidney Greenstreet, Agnes Moorhead, Edmund O'Brien, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. And next Thursday, same time, hear William Powell in Give Me Liberty. We should all support our local community chest in their drives for fun. Money is badly needed for aid to the handicapped, child care, hospitals, clinics, and a host of other humanitarian services. Subscribe to your local community chest. Everybody benefits. Everybody gives. Thank you. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Jack Benny, followed by Inner Sanctum. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.